Let's get straight into the Word. Would you say this after me? This is God's Word. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. Good. Rodney, where's your Bible this morning? That's your wife's. No, that's the, that's the baby's Bible. <laughs> At least you got one. Good. Could I just have a little bit more level on my mic? Let's get straight into the message entitled Principles of Faith Continued. As you know, we are on a journey focusing on this. I firmly believe that this is what is on the Lord's heart for us as a local body today, and I pray that it is finding root in your heart. Straight into our theme verse for the year, which is found in Jude 1, verse 20 and 21. This time looking at it from the New Living Translation. It says, but you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Notice that underlined bit. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. Just that phrase which is underlined there says, build each other up in your most holy faith. Uh, Other versions of the Bible where we've read this verse seem to focus on building yourself up, and there's something that comes up here of building one another up. It's not only about building ourselves up. You wanna build up those around about you. You wanna help build your spouse in their faith. You wanna help build your children, your family members, your grandchildren, those in your life group, And God actually gives us the responsibility to help other people. Do you know of somebody that's really struggling in their faith today? God might want to use you to make a difference in their lives. And as you know, our theme for 2017 is building up your most holy faith. Now, point number one of three things that I'd like to share with you. Number one, faith is a response to revelation. Won't you say that with me, please? Faith is a response to revelation. You could actually add in just after that, or else it is presumption. Faith is a response to revelation. Now, these words I had drummed into me by one of my spiritual fathers. His name was Kevin Doran, and he was one of my dad's closest friends. They were friends in ministry and later on out of ministry. They had a a really close friendship. He was probably my dad's best friend, his closest friend. And so him and Uncle Kevin would often get together and talk about the things of the Lord. And after my dad went to be with the Lord, Uncle Kevin, he continued to be a mentor and a role model, a spiritual father in my life. But let me tell you one just little interesting story, a little detour here for a moment. My dad used to call Uncle Kevin, as I knew him, Brother Kevy. Brother Kevy, that's what he called him. And so what happened is, one Sunday night, my dad is busy preaching in the church, and he knew Kevin never missed a service. He always sat to my dad's left, and uh, the chairs went around a little bit more than in this auditorium, and he never missed a service. He purposed in his heart, even if he doesn't feel well, he engages in the body, quite a commitment. 
And so my dad was talking, and in his message, he, he wanted to say something in reference to his friend Kevin, and he looked over to his left, and he couldn't see him. And this is kind of strange, because Brother Kevy's always in the service. And uh, turns out, you know, the, the, the wooden box with the charismatic plastic pot plants was there, if you know what I mean. And so my dad couldn't see him because he was hidden by this box of artificial plants, which weren't normally in that position. So my dad thought, no, I can't carry on with my sermon like this. So he said, Ushers, would you please come and just move this box a little bit backwards? And Uncle Kevin's going like, oh my word, oh my word. And so they came and moved the box backwards. My dad could see his mate, and he says, okay, now I can carry on preaching. <laughs> and so Uncle Kevin also kept an eye on me, and he mentored me. And by the way, what a blessing to have a spiritual father, a spiritual mentor. The scripture says you have many teachers, but you have few fathers. It's a blessing to have somebody that's like an elder brother in the faith or a mentor or spiritual father, I want to ask you, do you have anybody like that when you really need some, some input and advice regarding something that you're praying about or a decision that you make? It's great to have mentors. We should all look for those type of people in our lives. And I remember Uncle Kevin said to me, he said, John, I was there for your dad. And he said, I'll be there for you. I was so blessed. I was 23 years old and I thought, wow, this man's taking an interest in me. And so he was a blessing. He graduated to glory in 2004, but I want to say in your presence today that I honor him as a godly man and a spiritual father. But this is what he would say to me, John, faith is a response to revelation. And he said it so many times to me that I almost got a little bit irritated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard that before. <laughs> Same stuff, different day. Faith is a response to revelation, but he drummed it in. He drummed it in. Now, let's look at a biblical basis for that statement, which is our point, and understand its meaning. I want to take you to three quick scriptures that provide a basis to understand that faith is a response to revelation. Firstly, John 14, verse 12 to 14. Jesus is speaking. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes, we're talking about faith. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Take note of that phrase, whatever you ask. Let me say to you, are you asking God for things? We should be asking and trusting him for situations in our lives, for things that we need to see his interven intervention in. And in verse 14, it says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So these verses encourage us to believe and to ask, almost ask unashamedly, ask for big things and expect to receive those big things. The second of these three verses is James 4, verse 2 and 3. I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Ouch. The New King James Version says, you ask amiss. 
NIV says, you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This verse basically says, don't ask for the wrong things. Don't ask for things according to your own selfish desires and your own interests. Then the third scripture that I want to bring to your mind is 1 John 5, verse 14 uh, to 15. It says, now this is the confidence. Just say the words, the confidence. This is speaking about having confidence when you come to God in prayer. And I want to say that I believe that in this year, your confidence in coming before the Lord in faith, asking Him, presenting your request to Him, your confidence is going to grow. And it says, now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, please say those four words, according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of Him. So this third verse that we're just looking at here basically emphasizes that when we ask, we need to ask according to God's will. Sometimes we're not seeing the results of the prayers that we're praying because it's not according to the will of God. And so these scriptures, I would submit to you today, come together in a beautiful unity. And they teach us that when we are believing God for something, in other words, when we are putting our faith out and trusting God for something, that we must make sure that it is not a selfish request and it is in line with the will of God. And if those two criteria are met, then we can be assured of greater answers to prayers. Can I hear an amen? amen. Faith is a response to revelation. In other words, did God reveal to you that you must trust him for this? Did he lay it on your heart? Did he speak to you? Did God reveal to you that this is his will? Because if so, then as you believe, you are exercising true faith. Else it is just presumption. You just presume that God's going to do that, wants to do that. And we don't want to be operating in presumption, but in faith as a response to revelation. Now, let me give you a little example here. Let's say that you are in need of moving out of your house. The current one is really crammed and you need to get into something a little bit more suitable for your family. It's you, your wife, and two or three kids. And so you go out with a bunch of estate agents, you're visiting different properties and and, and next thing you walk into this one, you think, this is awesome. I want this property. Check the entertainment area. Check the pool, the room flow pool. And you just, you just decide that this is what God wants for you. And you begin to name it, frame it, claim it. You put a picture up on your fridge. And you, you, you just begin to intercede and trust God. But you can't just assume that that's necessarily the house for you. Because has there been any revelation? But let's say you're going with your wife and you're continuing to look into properties and you and your wife and you walk into this one particular home and but when you walk in, something feels different. And you begin to walk through and, and here you are, you walk into the family room, maybe you're the husband, you walk into the family room and you think like, I experienced the peace of the Lord here. And the Lord says to you, this is where you're gonna raise your children. 
you think, wow, could that be the Lord? A little bit later, as you're walking through the house, you don't even know it, but your wife hears the same thing. The Lord says to your wife, this is where you're going to raise your children. And then afterwards, you get back home and you say, honey, you won't believe this, but as we were walking, she says, stop, stop. God said to me, we're going to raise our children in that house. Wow. That is the revelation. That is knowing the inner witness of the Lord. And then when you operate in faith and you begin to say, now, thank you, God. You've spoken to us that this is the right place, and we're going to believe you in faith for this house that's the right thing. Then you're responding in faith. In Mark 10, we see that James and John were asking the wrong thing. And they said, God, in heaven, Jesus, in heaven, we want to sit on the right and the left of your throne in glory. But they were asking according to their own selfish desires to be recognized and promoted. And because they didn't ask the right thing and they had selfish motives, their request was not granted. Listen to what one Bible commentary says. We do not have authority to pray for miracles for our own convenience or acclaim. Every act of faith must rest on the promise of God. If we know that it is God's will to remove a certain mountain, then we can pray with utter confidence. In fact, we can pray with confidence on any subject as long as we know it is according to God's will either as revealed in the Bible or according to inner witness. So the things that you're trusting for, you need to assess them. Am I trusting for something that is revealed to me by God? And I know that this is the Lord's will, either through the revelation of Scripture or the inner witness of the Spirit of God because God speaks to His children. And if so, then you are on the right track some examples of responding to revelation. Abraham. Abraham responded to revelation. And God said, Abraham, leave your household, leave your country, and go to a land that I will show you. What was the, the revelation? God said, leave and go somewhere. Abraham responded to that revelation, so therefore he was acting in faith. Another example is the disciple Peter. And they're out on the water. There's this massive storm. Jesus comes walking to them uh, in the time of a tumultuous situation. And they all get frightened, think it's a ghost, etc. And then they realize it's Jesus. And Jesus says to Peter, come. What was the revelation? God said something. Jesus said, come. And Peter jumped out of the boat, he responded to revelation, he got on the water and began to walk miraculously on the water. Another example is Noah. He responded to revelation. When God told Noah to build an ark of gopher wood, he obeyed. And he is, and his entire family were saved. But do you see, there needs to be revelation that you respond to, and then you are operating in true faith. Kenneth Hagin Sr. was quoted as saying this, faith begins where the will of God is known. But you see, there's also responsibility because when you know what God is wanting you to do, then you have to step out. So ask yourself this, is the thing that I'm praying for according to God's will, either as revealed in the word or by inner witness, then I'm on the right track. Can I hear an amen?
Number two, faith without works is dead. Please say that with me. Faith without works is dead. Now, I had a friend of mine, and him and I were chatting together in a group. I don't know where we were, five or six or eight of us, a group chatting together. And my friend, he wasn't a very shy person. And there was quite a wealthy man that was sitting or standing together in this group as we were chatting. And so my friend said, you know what, yeah, man, I would love to go on a holiday to such and such a place, you know, ah, oh, me and my wife, we've thought about it for a long time, and, and as my friend is saying this, and I can see he's hinting to this wealthy man, I'm thinking to myself, dude, what are you doing? But anyhow, I rolled my eyes at him, and two days later, he gets an all-expenses trip paid holiday to this island that he was wanting to go to. And so my friend was telling me about this with a little smirk on his face, and he said, you know what, John, faith without hints is dead. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, he didn't quite get the scripture right, because that's not what it says. Now, look at what the scripture does say on your screen, James 2, verse 26. It says, for as the body without the spirit is dead... So faith without works is dead also. If you look at this in the Good News Bible, verse 26 says, faith without actions is dead. Same verse in the expanded Bible says, faith that does nothing is dead. And I believe that there are people under the sound of my voice that you love God, you trust in God, but your faith isn't being put into action. And you have to put it into action to see the results. God responds to faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Now, this scripture, faith without works is dead, can be interpreted in two ways. Firstly, the first way of interpreting the scripture is this. If you have true faith in God, your life will be marked by a harvest of good works and good fruits. That's the first way you can interpret that scripture. The second way you can interpret it is that if you truly believe that God is wanting to bring something about, then you will act on it. If you truly believe that God is instructing you and he's speaking into your heart to do something, then as you act on it, your faith is living. If you don't act on it, your faith is dead actually like a corpse, according to what the scripture says. Some people think that the book of James was just written about salvation, but James was writing not to unbelievers, but he was writing to believers. And he was telling them, basically he was saying, folks, that faith without corresponding action won't produce anything. Now, one of the reasons why we're talking about faith this year is because when we operate in faith, it produces things. Things that you might not be experiencing now get produced in your life. But it needs to be that you are responding to God. There is corresponding action, and then stuff gets produced. Now, I think of the Choose Life story. And I think of what the Lord has done here, and we give all the honor and the glory to him. But you know, a little over 11 years ago, 
there was not a church in South Africa by the name of Choose Life Church. And I truly believe that God spoke to me. He laid it on my heart to start a new congregation. And when he did that, that was the revelation, okay? He spoke to me through Ezekiel 17, 22 and 23, and he said, I will take a branch, I will crop it off from the cedar tree, and I will plant it. God spoke to me, I knew he had spoken to me, and furthermore, by inner witness. But let me tell you, when you only have a word and a witness, and you haven't seen anything of what the Lord has done, it's hard to step out. I'm not saying it's easy to step out, but I know that God will give you the courage to do what you need to do. And so this is what the Lord said, that you need to step out. I had a choice at that point in time. By God's grace, I said, yes, Lord. I said, yes. And therein was the action. There was the faith. There was the works. And by God's grace, as a result, God has established an awesome congregation to his honor and glory. Can we thank him? Come on, a little louder for what he has done. And today, as I stand before you, I know that this is not the work of man. This is the work of the man, Christ Jesus. And we give him all the honor. We give him all the thanks. Now, in terms of this, let me tell you, there's something that I have learned through this process, and this is it. I'm going to say it loud. I'm going to say it clear. There comes a time when you simply have to step out of the boat. There comes a time when you have to step out of the boat because otherwise your faith is not going to produce something. For the kingdom of God. And there's people under the sound of my voice, you have dreams that are placed there by God, that are confirmed by God, and you haven't stepped out. And you know what? You are robbing people from the destiny. Let me tell you, when you obey God and step out of the boat with what he said for you to do, you create opportunities for others. You create more of God's kingdom in places around you. And I think to myself, what if I had never stepped out in faith with what God had told me? What if I had never stepped out? I don't know where I would have been. God would have, I guess, just used somebody else who would have been available. I don't know where you would have all been. But I say this with great reverence to the Lord and honoring Him for all that He has done. But let me tell you, others can be blessed by your obedience. There are some people who are unemployed today because you have not started the company that God told you to start. Ouch. And God is wanting to say to you, you step out and you launch that company because I'm going to employ lots of people and you're going to be a, a means of helping people that are unemployed in this country. And so my question to you today, sir, ma'am, what is the Lord saying to you? What is the Lord telling you to do? Because we need to respond to that. And I want to say, please act on what God wants you to do. Maybe the Lord is telling you to launch that new business. Maybe he's saying to respond to that call. You've always been scared. 
And now it's time to step out of the boat. Maybe God is saying to you, you have to write that book. God is saying to you, in that business where you're in, it's highly corrupt in that environment, but I've put you there because you need to step out and you need to make a difference. Maybe God is telling you to patent a product. Maybe God is saying to you, you need to start a life group and become a leader in the church, begin to minister to others. But you say, God, you can't use me. I've got a speech impediment. Well, uh, Moses had the same thing, but God used him nonetheless. Maybe God is saying to you, there's a property that I have a purpose for in the future. You don't know it now, but you need to buy that property. A kingdom project is gonna take place there. And so my question to you is, whatever the Lord is saying to you, act on it. There's the story of Jesus attending the wedding in Canaan of, Cana of Galilee. And here at the wedding, they run out of wine. And they run out of wine and they come and try to find out what to do. And Jesus' mother, this is when your mom starts getting involved. Jesus' mother says to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. So they bring six water pots, fill them up with water. And God does a miracle and he turns the water instantaneously into wine. I just want to tell you, the process of making wine, good wine, can take many years. But God, when you step out in faith, he can do something in a remarkably short space of time. Something that might take four to six years or something like that can actually happen instantaneously through faith and through obedience. And so the same thing applies to your and my life. Whatever he says to you, do it. Please say that to the person next to you. Whatever he says to you, do it. <laughs> Whatever he says to you, do it. Are you still with me, church? You're still awake? Great. Now, the last point, number three, which is a more brief one. Three, having faith in the power of God. Please say that with me. Having faith in the power of God. Right into 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 to 5. This is quite interesting. Here Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, and he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I was in weakness. This is the apostle Paul. I was in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your, what's that word? Faith. What are we speaking about this year? We're talking about faith. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know, a lot of times we look to the wisdom of men. Now, in our own human nature, we tend to be impressed with things like excellence of speech, high-performance church, human wisdom, persuasive words, impressive church designs and decor and high-tech stuff, and fancy footwork, skilled preaching, an exciting program. And we'll go and connect into a church because, oh man, it's, it's exciting. There's a vibe. Well, let me tell you, I believe that it is good to be relevant. And as this local church, we also want to be relevant and grow in terms of that. But let me tell you, these things should not move us. 
Those things should not impress us. Rather, we should be moved and stirred by the power of God. Our faith should be in the power of God and what He can do and not what some slick talking can accomplish in our lives. The power of God changes people. Now listen to what this commentary says. It's very interesting. It says, the Apostle Paul recognized the difference between spiritual ministry and soulish ministry. Soulish ministry amuses, entertains, or generally appeals to man's emotions. Spiritual ministry, on the other hand, represents the truth of God's word in such a way so as to glorify Christ and to reveal him to the hearts of the hearers. Paul was talking about the fact that he came and ministered to those Corinthians. He wasn't impressive, but he just came and ministered under the power of God. I want to tell you the greatest thing that draws people to a church is not a slick program. It is the power of God. Can you put your hands together and say amen? It is the power of God. The world is looking for the power of God. And it was interesting as I was looking at this that I realized that Paul was actually a weak person. Would you say weak person? Paul was actually weak. And he's a wonderful example of how God can use a weak person to make an amazing impact. And I believe that Paul would have perhaps never won the Best Speaker of the Year award. <laughs> he would have never won the voice competition. But that man knew how to lay hold of the power of God. And he had taught himself to have faith in what God can do, even though he was weak. As you're listening here today, I wonder how many of you feel weak. Paul felt weak. He said, I came in weakness and fear and trembling. Let me tell you, I feel weak. But the good news is that God uses the weak and the foolish and the despised things of the world to confound the wise. So that the glory will not be given to the vessel, but what the vessel is holding or lifting up. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. So God uses weak people just as long as your faith is in the power of God. I'm drawing to a close right now. Verse 4 and 5 in the New Living Translation is on your screen. Let's just look at what Paul said. He said, and my message and my preaching were very plain. This is the Apostle Paul. <laughs> He's saying my preaching was actually just very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. And I wanna to say to you, my closing statement today, I wanna to encourage you and say that, sir, man, God can really use you. Don't rely on your cleverness. Don't rely on your personality, but rely on the power of God. Have faith in the power of God. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time around your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you can, be, you can do exceedingly abundantly. Above all that we ask or think, 
according to the power of God within us. As we go into this week, I pray that we would go full of joy. But I pray that this message of faith would be found in our hearts and our minds during this week. And that we would respond to revelation. In Jesus' name. And we all say, Amen. 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 God bless you, everybody.